So hopefully this will be my um, permanent location. You're going to need a light. It's a little dark. It really is like dungeon in there. I am a silverfish now. <laughs> Earwig. I live in the cellar. <laughs> Hello friends and fiends, welcome to Bugs Need Heroes, a podcast where an artist and an entomologist team up to illustrate the inspiring abilities of insects by creating a bug-themed superhero. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kelly. Before we can start creating this bug-inspired hero, what's bugging you, Kelly? Um, I know I always do no complaints. I have no, <laughs> I have no complaints. Amanda, life is good. What can I say? Oh, you're so optimistic, so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Well, the, uh, the weather is great right now. Right now it's, what is it? what are we in April? And it was like 80 degrees the other day. So I've been spending a lot of time outdoors, bike riding, hiking, the usual. Coming out of coming out of your sad era into <laughs> the sun now. I'll tell you what's bugging you? me. Um, tell I, This is slightly bug themed. So I felt like it was appropriate. When someone sings the song, there's two versions I've heard. The ants go marching one by one. And alternatively, there's the bees go buzzing one by one. So pick whichever bug you prefer. When they say four by four, are you imagining the bugs all in one line or the bugs in a square that's four by four? Um, it's not that a question I was expecting you to ask me this morning, but... Um, that's what I like to keep it cray cray. <laughs> in a line. I was picturing in a line. It's always shown as a line. It's a line of ants. It's a line of bees. Every Were children's you? cartoon shows. But the wording is a for. No, I'm also picturing a line. But the wording is very clear that it's four by four, which is clearly a square. Derek argues that when it's <laughs> ants, it's military action. And so it's clearly a little like you know, centurions going forth. But a bees bees don't go like that, do they? No, no, no. no. To my, to my. I'm just saying, don't do that. You have been fooled by children's cartoons this whole time. They are not bug accurate. If if I've learned anything from doing the podcast, it's that cartoons are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> very Which very is wrong. The greatest heartbreak of all on this podcast. <laughs> but um, so we uh, have a. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, you go right ahead. <laughs> I was just going to dive into the episode because we have a guest. <laughs> I'm not trying to waste her time <laughs> with my nonsense. Uh, so we have a special, our second bug hero brought onto the podcast as the hero themselves. Uh, if you'd like to introduce yourself, please do so now. Sure. Um, my name is Caitlin O'Donnell and I'm an entomologist. I live in Massachusetts. Right now I work with mosquitoes and that's how I um, met Kelly um, but today I'm going to talk about a different insect that I did my master's research on. It's the winter moth. I'm very excited. You, very you, met, cool. you met Kelly in the in the shadow of Miss Keto herself. I, yes, uh, yes, I that's very true. Looming behind you. <laughs> we we love Miss Keto, and uh, Amanda has plans to draw her properly. And I, I do, I do plan to draw her. Oh, I Once can't I'm, wait to see it. So tell us about the winter moth. Yeah, um, well, I did my master's research on it, and I went to school in Maine. And it is a very cold, hardy insect, which you have to be if you live in Maine. Um, it was an introduced insect, so an invasive species. And I've been kind of thinking about how to frame it, you know, as hero or villain. I know you've kind of discussed <laughs> insects in both um, sort of ways before, but it is just a really fascinating insect on the surface it looks kind of boring and drab the adults are just little brown moths and the larvae are little green inchworms they're very small and you know you wouldn't normally notice them but they just have so many really fascinating things about them oh where do they come from originally they're from Europe. Um, so another, you know, cold region. They are all across the UK, through Germany, they're in Norway, all across Europe. So for your neck of the woods, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> we we joke often that Kelly is just Scandiwegian directly. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Straight off the Viking boat with her um, beautiful blonde hair. Made, yes. of, made of northern northern folk. But yeah, that's that, that's a pretty cold part of Europe. 
Yeah. And um, they, they did really cause a big problem when they were introduced in North America, which is kind of interesting because usually you're thinking about the big invasive pests that are coming from other areas like Asia. Those are the ones that you hear about all the time. But right. this one is from Europe. So I thought it was kind of interesting that, you know. Well, what kind of, uh, how is it a pest in what way? Yeah. Um, well, it is a huge defoliator of a wide range of hosts. It has its favorites, but it will eat pretty much anything in sight. And when it's at really big outbreak levels, high numbers in the environment, it will be feeding on anything. I, I would see them on evergreen trees, which is really unusual for a lepidopteran pest. Anything that it that it lands on, it will eat. And when the levels were really high in the spring of 2013 and 2014, you could not see a single leaf on a tree in the area where the outbreak was really high. They had completely stripped every tree of leaves. There were wow. huge oak trees where really the only leaves you would see was at the very, very top of these tall trees um, because the caterpillars couldn't make it up that high. It was, I think 2013 was the biggest year and it was over 4,000 acres that were pretty much completely defoliated in coastal Maine. Holy cow. So it was, yeah, pretty impressive to see. So you- you see a beautiful green tree, you walk up to it, turns out all the green on it is just yes, caterpillars. Our caterpillars, oh, no. yeah. Yeah. That's horrifying. <laughs> they were they would just get everywhere. They were, you know, falling from the canopy in, in curtains. Oh my god. And covering so you're getting people. covered in them. Yes. And I have a funny story to share actually. Um, because I would be out in the field doing all my field work in the spring when caterpillars are everywhere. And it's this little cute beautiful coastal community in Maine. And there was this little uh, local shop where I'd buy a couple of groceries and they kind of worked on, um, like you could have a running tab there. It's that kind of place. Um, oh, nice. And I walk up to the counter and I think I was buying a couple tomatoes and I go to pay for the tomatoes and two caterpillars fall out of my sleeve onto the, onto the <laughs> counter while I'm trying to pay. And I'm like, oh, excuse me and wipe them away. <laughs> they just were everywhere. So you're like Oogie Boogie and Nightmare Before Christmas, just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dropping bugs everywhere. Yeah. Oh, my Horrifying. God. I don't think I've ever been around an infestation of anything quite that crazy. Maybe maybe like the Brood X emergence yeah. a few years ago. But, oh, my God. So these little caterpillars are just inchworms? Yes. Yeah. So they're in the family Geometridae, which are um, kind of commonly called... Um, loopers or inchworms. So they really are the, you know, the classic, um, they're green as, as caterpillars. And yes, they inch along. They are incredibly tiny when they emerge. They go through five instars. I know you've talked about instars before with other insects. Mm -hmm. Um, And then by the, so they go through a really large range of growth by the time they're at their fifth instar, they are kind of, you know, compared to what they were as the first instar, pretty chunky green caterpillars. Nothing like a, you know, tomato hornworm or anything. They're still a small, small small. inchworm, but yeah, probably, you know, an inch and a half long or so. It's it's still a pretty good size for uh, what I usually consider inchworms to just be little, but um, that's that's chunky. Yeah, yeah. How long does it take for them to go from, uh, say, egg to adult then? Yeah, we can talk about the whole life cycle. The eggs are laid in the winter time. They're called winter moths because the adults are actually active in the winter months, which is really unusual for a lot of insects. So they're really flying when nothing else is around. The eggs are laid on the bark of their host plants on the trees, and they actually go through um, a change in color. When they're laid, they're green, like this kind of minty green. They blend in with the lichen on the trees. Mm. And then as they develop and get closer to hatch, they turn pink. And then right before they hatch, they're this dark blue color, which is kind of cool. And Oh, that's really neat. Yeah. And yeah. for my research, I'd collect eggs and we'd keep them in a growth chamber to try and hatch them in the lab. And you could watch this progression of color through the winter. And they do need a certain amount of time at a cold temperature. So below four degrees Celsius, I think is what it was. And that will, you know, that period of cold is what's when then when it starts to warm is what's going to signal them to hatch wow and their hatch is really synchronized with 
the bud burst of their host plants. So if they hatch before those host plants are starting to bud, they won't have anything to eat. They hatch too late. They're so tiny that they're not going to really be able to take advantage of the, the food that's available. So that synchrony is really important to their survival. Um, just the way that they are so closely adapted to their environment is really interesting. And so these, these leaves or these plants are just putting out their buds. So it would kind of be like how we are right now. We're recording in the spring. Um, what are, at least I'm in Massachusetts, what our buds are looking like right now it's a good time for winter moth to be hatching. And these little teeny tiny caterpillars enter these just opening buds, and then they are sheltered in there and they eat the bud from the inside out and then grow. As they get bigger, the leaves are opened and expanded. Then they'll be munching on the leaves how you would think of a caterpillar, but they will enter those and it's both flower and leaf buds. So they damage fruit because of that flower bud damage Um, but they eat it from the inside out and you'll see little holes so it's kind of like thinking of the the caterpillar in an apple like the hole (laughs) coming out yeah another bug that loves to eat things from the inside out yes and they are a very hungry caterpillar (laughs) (laughs) do does europe have these big emergences too or is it really just here because they're have an advantage in a new space yeah because when we talked about um, emerald ash borers it was like because the ash tree doesn't have any way to like defend itself the emerald ash borer could wipe through them is that what's going on with the moths too yeah kind of so in in europe they do have outbreak periods of outbreak but it's um kind of more regular about every 10 years or so and their populations are regulated by natural predators so it's kind of normal in an in um, a native range for a lepidopteran pest to have those periods of outbreak we have examples of that here with other there's actually a native um, geometrid that looks exactly like winter moth it's very hard to tell them apart they're Mm -hmm. even even hybridizing in areas where they kind of overlap and for a long time People just attributed all of this defoliation to the native moth and didn't know that we actually had winter moth for a while. That was happening in Massachusetts and British Columbia. Um, so yeah, it's we that that moth has kind of regular um, cyclical, cyclical outbreaks, whereas winter moth, um, when it was newly introduced, really didn't have a bust period. It was all boom. Right. It is actually a really successful example of biological control though because it is not as big of an issue anymore in new england and the northeast oh that's good yeah the so the the inchworms there their caterpillar phase they balloon right kind of like yes. spiders yeah yeah so that's how they get around when they first hatch they're on the bark of the tree so they have to get from the trunk to the buds where they're going to feed and they do produce silk So they are able to kind of fly on the breeze on their strands of silk and fly (laughs) through the air. And they they produce silk throughout their whole larval life. So that's how they're moving from plant to plant as caterpillars. So they balloon through every stage. Yeah, it's just a lot easier to travel far when they're tiny. When they get bigger, they they really kind of just drop straight down. (laughs) Um, But when they're tiny, they can fly, you know, hundreds of yards on the wind. Wow. Oh, is that typical? I just only ever think of caterpillars making silk right at the very end when they're making their little cocoons. But maybe I'm being influenced by silk worms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's how they do it, you know? Yeah, I think I think it's common for this group. So a lot of the interims have that ability. Because you'll see, if you are walking through the woods and stuff, sometimes you'll get those brown ones on you. And they're just mm. hanging there in the air, kind of spinning around. <laughs> those like bag worms that like cover themselves in little bark chips yeah those are cool <laughs> like, yeah don't pay attention to me i'm just a little bug chip yeah oh kelly i'll turn myself up hold on <laughs> oh just, okay i just didn't want to be too loud <laughs> <laughs> it's my first day in my uh podcast dungeon so we're, we're still working out <laughs> some of those, those stuff usually you're very loud amanda and i'm i'm surprised that I'm having trouble hearing. I'm trying to be respectful to the the genius stem moth ladies in my presence. <laughs> <laughs> to be quiet and wait my turn. 
<laughs> no, no. Always, always talk to us, Amanda. I love, <laughs> I love your questions. <laughs> These moths sound crazy. What a fascinating species. Yeah. See, here um, in Portland. Oh, sorry. Oh, here, here in Portland, the moth I'm most familiar with is the kind that lives in my kitchen. Yeah. And so I'm there all the time. I feel like they're always around. They're always. There's like winter, spring, summer. Don't know her because they just they're just always in your rice trying to steal your ramen noodles. Yeah. And so these these insects were introduced into the Pacific Northwest as well. I don't know necessarily oh, no. about Portland, the city, but I do know that they were in Oregon and Washington. But again, they released some biological control agents, which we can talk about. Yeah, definitely. But, but you had asked about uh, development time. So the, the eggs hatch when those buds are bursting. So here mm-hmm. it's usually April or May, uh, or Maine, Maine and Northern Massachusetts, April or May. And then, you know, as you get farther South, it's earlier and earlier. And then they feed on the leaves for about six weeks. So by June, uh, they're pretty much finished feeding. They drop to the ground and they pupate in the soil, the top layer of soil. And they kind of make like a little dirt cocoon with their silk and, and dirt and they're buried underground. And then the they stay underground for the rest of the summer and fall. And then the adults emerge in October or November. And the adults are f- active and flying through January. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So they are oh, really wait. cold hardy. <laughs> do, do the adults feed? No, they don't. They don't. Okay. Yeah. So the males Hard to emerge. Off. <laughs> yeah. So the males emerge first and um, the females are actually flightless. So they don't have full wings. They have little wing pads. There are a lot of other moths that are like this. Uh, The spongy moth is like that. And so the females just emerge from the ground and crawl up the trunk of the nearest tree. Their instinct is to just crawl up. And then they lay eggs on the bark as they go up and they're emitting pheromones the whole time to draw in all those males that do have wings and can fly around. And um, the males are able to detect them and signal in and then they mate on the trunk of the tree as they're climbing up. They lay all their eggs. They lay between 100 and 300-ish eggs. They're pretty prolific. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of eggs. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, it's fascinating. They only have wing buds. Yeah. I know there are a few species of um, midge that are like that too. Or nets. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. It's uh, odd. Yeah. <laughs> it's odd. <laughs> you know how fireflies are too? Like the lady stays on the ground and is like, hello, it's my light. Come find me. But maybe I'm remembering that wrong. <laughs> she has wings though. Yeah. She does fireflies have, wings? have wings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't have them around here, so <laughs> I only ever, I only ever see them in movies and in uh, Owl City music videos. That's the only yeah. thing. You don't have fireflies? Mm-mm. I think there's technically one that's like out in out in Nowheresville, and I'm not in Nowheresville, so I don't ever see them. But oh, I could no, be wrong, Amanda. Mm. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's, that's sad. sad. Well, right? <laughs> I've heard that there's like way less fireflies that yeah. like. There used to be a ton. You couldn't go outside without fireflies. And now it's like, maybe you'll see some every now yeah. and then. So. Yeah, there was a, someone gave a talk on that at the Mosquito Conference last year about fireflies. And I think it was like insecticides. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be no correlation between insecticides used for mosquito treats treatments on fireflies. Mm-hmm. So. We know we're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, it seems like um, it's more related to habitat and things like that and yeah. light pollution and suburbia and all that, you know. <laughs> Too many kids catching them in jars. Really yeah. Yeah. Population. <laughs> <laughs> An epidemic of children in jars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I- I'd like to hear more about um, maybe the biocontrol that's used. Yeah, sure. Sure. So the biological control agent that we've used here in the Northeast, and it's been used in Canada as well, is a tachinid fly. It's Cyzenus albicans. And uh, they, the adults are out as, at the same time as the caterpillars. And the adult um, flies will lay their eggs on the leaves near where a caterpillar is feeding. And the caterpillar comes and munches along the leaf and eats the egg, swallows it, 
There's something in the salivary glands that signals that fly egg to hatch. As a oh, I knew it. Stomach. Oh, no. <laughs> and then that, that, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that fly larva eats the caterpillar from the inside out, but it doesn't want to damage it too much because it needs to complete its life cycle before the caterpillar, you know, Croaks. succumbs to its <laughs> invasion. So they, um, they actually pupate inside of the winter moth pupa. And then those oh, adults will, um, will stay underground all winter long and then come out in the spring. And it's incredibly host specific. They only will infect winter moth. They huh. even have found that they won't infect the closely related Bruce spanworm that you can't tell the difference between the two. Now, I don't know what will happen with these hybridized populations, but it is incredibly host specific. Yeah. And they released, um, I mean, with, with a biological control release, you have to release so many adults all at once because you're just hoping that some of them will take hold. It takes, it takes really kind of over-releasing these biological control agents to get them established, but they did become established here in Massachusetts in Maine. They did this in Rhode Island, Connecticut, and it's, had previously been done in Canada and the Pacific Northwest and they had really successful control. So within a few years, winter moth really kind of, it's still there um, and depends on the year, how, how, you know, how many you'll see, but it really hasn't, hasn't been very much of an issue. And in Maine where I did my research, there's another caterpillar that kind of emerged around the same time and has been a much bigger problem. So I think it's been a little overshadowed by that guy, but it's a, yeah. it's a never ending wave of invasive species that we're, really, is, yeah. we're really just mitigating, right? We can't get rid of them permanently. Right. Right. It never seems to be a final, uh, like a real solution to anything. Yeah. Which <laughs> we, we have the spotted lanternfly, which yep. you guys have in Massachusetts too, right? There yet. has been some populations found, but we're really keeping an eye on it. I think oh, they they are We're coming. Hoping They're coming. Got, They're got coming. <laughs> good good luck. Yeah. They're, yeah. A, they're a mess here in New Jersey. Yeah. Come June. Kelly's July. preparing her home every weekend now. She's boarding up the windows so the spot of yeah. fly can come in. Yeah, they do fly in into my apartment through our balcony door open in the nice weather and they fly in. But then my cats have like a field day. Yeah. (laughs) So So this is a question that neither you might know the answer to, but it's just like a general biology question. How how does can you make a hybrid animal between two different species? How much does it take to make that hybrid animal its own species? I assume it has to be able to breed, which I know like the mule can't, but like, but like our koi wolves out there, the coyote wolf, are they breeding? I don't know. I don't know how much it takes to make a hybrid animal that's technically now a new animal. Uh Oh, Derek says I've opened a can of worms. Yeah, this is a can of worms. (laughs) People have a lot of differing opinions about what a species actually is. And a lot of times, yeah, it's whether you can successfully produce offspring is kind of like the the base that's base but one you yeah get but to we'll this. we might still just consider them a hybrid species even yeah. if they can oh. um, create their own offspring or interbreed with other closely so i think yeah, it is the ultimate i think it's in florida <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think it's in florida there's like snakes that are starting to like hybridize because people are like i don't want this burmese python anymore yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then they gets out and it's like oh hello other python <laughs> maybe florida is an outlier and should not be counted right i have read about that yeah terrifying (laughs) florida florida's a mess for a lot of reasons that we're probably not going to cover on this podcast probably probably time to just saw it off and let it float into the ocean (laughs) sorry we love you (laughs) amanda out here alienating a whole state of listeners (gasps) well it's the problem when you get the very young who just want to party and the very old who want those young partiers to go away and it just <laughs> creates a negative atmosphere from which I don't know the state will ever recover. <laughs> well, it was a, it was a good question, Amanda. It was, yeah. I didn't know I had accidentally stumbled upon discourse as an <laughs> off in my way. <laughs> so you're, 
your dissertation or your, your master's thesis was on the winter moth. Now, I don't think we talk too much about um, sort of the process of getting these degrees. Mm-hmm. How, how many journal articles do you think you read to oh, complete gosh. that master's? I don't even know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't even think I could guess a number. <laughs> it's a lot. Is now a good a time to, uh, to name drop that you're on the Wikipedia article? Oh, speaking of articles, yeah. <laughs> speaking of articles, you're in the Wikipedia. You're sourced oh, on the Wikipedia for through the yeah, winter I didn't moth. even yeah. know that. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> You've made it. You now, are the baby. ultimate expert now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was kind of like it, it was really um, lucky timing, I guess, because when I started, I went. I started grad school in 2012, and went to Maine to work under my advisor, who works on ants. Um, and I, ants are my favorite ins- of the insects. Oh, so that was my plan. But then she came to me and was, and it was within the first two months of me starting grad school. And she was like, there's this new invasive in the coast. I think it could be really exciting. It'd be, you know, you'd have oh, this whole area to do research in that has never been done before instead of, you know, being limited to what I work on with these ants do you want to switch? And so I said, yes. And it was great. <laughs> it was kind of lucky timing. Yeah. That's awesome timing. That's, a, <laughs> that's like a gift, a total gift from the universe to yeah. from the, from the bug handed. queen in the sky. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, do you, ha- I'm, I'm certain you have no regrets, right? You don't wish you worked with ants. Cause it's no, not, I got, I mean, pretty awesome. She, yeah, when you're in grad school, your advisor is your boss. So I did get to work on the ants and work in her lab. They were also an invasive species from Europe, the European fire ant. So oh. I got to get stung plenty of times. <laughs> how, Kelly, how still sting free, still sting free. <laughs> yes, I've, I've never been stung by anything. Oh, really? Nothing. Not even a yellow jacket or? No. Wow. Nothing. I've only been bitten by plenty of mosquitoes because yes. we have... We have an 80s Albopictus colony in the lab. Yeah. And there I'm tasty, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then like biting flies when I'm out hiking and that's it. Yeah. No, nothing wow. Else. Nothing that's stinky. pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. Gonna I'm her... not going to know how to react. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to make her a Schmidt scale. The, uh, yeah. Finally but for does. someone who <laughs> works outside, it's pretty, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> I think they, they know a... that I'm on their side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You give off a don't bother me energy. I guess. As as you know, bees can sense royalty. <laughs> I don't know if either one of you has seen Jupiter Ascending, but there is a truly wild scene in which bee alien Sean Bean says that bees can sense royalty. And then the bees sense that uh, Mila Kunis is a space queen. And they, oh. must, they must be different. It's that movie is wild. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend it as a bad movie night viewing. Yeah, it's, I'll have to do that. I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's I, it is my theory that the Wachowskis were like, "Here's all the money you need to make a movie," and they're like, "Sweet, we'll work on that script later." And then they had to turn in the script like the next day, and they're like, "Oh, oh no, just just pull out your high school fan fiction. That'll do. That'll do." And then. <laughs> And so, like, then they just made a movie of their own OCs from their own fan fiction. The, I mean, the story I heard was that it was supposed to be, like, nine movies, and uh, they had to condense it into, like, one. It oh, wow. has it has a real, nine like, they were movies. trying to be... Who was going to watch that? No one. That's no just a lot of movies. <laughs> it's not a Star Wars. Get out of here. <laughs> it... it Watching it, I think it was meant to be a graphic novel because it has a lot of graphic novel tropes in it that I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. all right, uh huh. Like, I'd say it was trying to be saga. If you, if anyone's read saga, I think it was trying to do that. So nine movies makes a lot more sense, actually. Mm. But well, he's it's... a werewolf from space who has wings. Okay, like tell me, <laughs> tell me that's not a character I wrote when I was thirteen. Okay. <laughs> I forgot how weird that movie was. It's so it's so yeah. bad. It's good. I'd say it, it is. It's worth it for a bad movie night. Give I'll it have a to add it to the list. Also, Put Eddie Redmayne is just like chewing the scenery. He does this thing where he like <laughs> screams and then he whispers and then he screams again and then he whispers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like to his credit, it 
it makes his character seem unhinged, which is what he was going for. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, Amanda. I'm sorry, I've derailed us. Podcast. I miss what I do. Amanda, the it's movie derailer. Well, what do you think? Do, is the, I guess the Winter Moth is the villain, right? If we had to pick. Yeah, I think so, but I, I think it has around here. been vanquished by maybe the hero is the fly. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that would work. Yeah. Well, they also have, I know you've talked about ichneumonid wasps. They do have mm-hmm. an ichneumonid parasitoid too, but oh, we cool. haven't released that in the U.S. It's not host specific enough. Oh, well, we talked a little bit enough mistakes. <laughs> right. <laughs> we talked a little bit in Ash in Emerald Ashmore. It was like the dangerous game of releasing a, mm-hmm. an animal that you think will destroy another animal. And yeah. then them being like, that animal's too hard to catch. I'm going to eat this other thing that you didn't want me to eat. You know? Yeah. Well, the and best example is the cane toad. Right. That's what we decided to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the most famous because there's like a whole Simpsons episode about it. Oh, okay. Uh, and there's a pretty entertaining documentary too. Oh, is there? Oh, yeah. To, it's really that. good. I recommend that. Oh, I'll have to, <laughs> yeah. I'll have to check that out. That documentary filmmaker has done some other projects, which I highly recommend. He oh. did Ferrets, The Pursuit of Excellence, which is about breeding and showing ferrets on a competitive level. I think level. I've seen oh that one. You I probably have because I've made you watch it. I think you're going to watch that one. <laughs> and it's, just, it's, it's, it's supposed to be about ferrets, but really it's about ferret people. Yeah, I oh. love that. Like Did best you... in show kind of. But... Yeah, yeah, but, but with real people. like Real people. Ferret people are their own kind of people. You know, there's there's some pets that just kind of reveal who you are as a person. Yes. If, you're, if you're a snake lady, if you're a yep. ferret guy, if you're a you know cat lady being the obvious one, but cats are kind of ubiquitous at this point. But, you know, if you've got a unique pet, it says something about you. <laughs> yes, that's very true. My music teacher was, um, she had a ferret and it really uh, mm-hmm. tracked. She's high. <laughs> high music teacher energy on a ferret. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so i'm interested in because you and kelly are on the opposite ends of the mosquito spectrum you're trying to get rid of them she's seeing what they're up to while they're alive yeah she's growing them you're killing them you're on opposite (laughs) yeah so i am interested in like because on the mosquito episode we talk about how kelly gets asked all the time how do you get rid of all mosquitoes on earth always yep so like it just makes me angry and i go (laughs) me too me too (laughs) so like how do you control them without accidentally just wiping out whole populations yeah that feels Um, like a delicate dance yeah well my i don't do as much of the controlling personally our office does but i'm the entomologist. So I do all of the surveillance identification. We test them for diseases. So we're really kind of, and we are a state agency too. So we have a limited kind of purview and where, what we're able to do. And we're really focusing on probably about a dozen or fewer species of mosquitoes to, to control. Most of them we don't care about because they feed on only worms they feed on only frogs they you know we don't need to worry about those species that aren't going to vector diseases to us or be a huge nuisance problem and it also is just impossible to to get rid of them all they're hard to you know they're really wily creatures um they're hard to control and there are certain species that are especially hard to control um so I, I mean, I would think it would be impossible to wipe them all out, but we also don't need to wipe them all out. We're really right. only worried about a few a few species. This time of year, I think often of, because we're at that time where like you're sitting in your car and then you see like three mosquitoes on your window, like desperately trying to get into you. And I think of that, <laughs> that scene in Jumanji where they're like piercing through the suede top. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's where the mosquitoes are right now for at least that coming in as the warmer weather comes in, they've started to get ravenous. And that's why I always think about, Oh, they're trying to get in at me. Yeah. Trying to suck my blood. <laughs> oh, they gotta, they gotta lay their eggs. Yeah. Mamas have a plan. Mama yeah. gotta eat. <laughs> yeah. Everyone needs to survive. Yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you go about trapping? When you're doing um, trapping? Yeah. Well, right now we're really focusing on uh, larval populations in, wetlands. So um, I'm out every day 
dipping for mosquito larvae and trying to figure out what species are present and um, kind of assessing the population density and everything. Um, and all of these larvae that are in wetlands right now will become our early spring species. So these are like the black legged aides, the um, canadensis, a lot of those mm-hmm. uh, kind of wooded pool species that come out early in the spring. And we're actually, it's kind of interesting. We're finding I would say lower than average numbers of larvae in the wetlands this year. And, you know, I've I've only been to so many, so I can't say that this is like a for sure lower numbers, but I do kind of wonder if it has anything to do with the huge drought we had last year, if that could have affected these, these particular species whose eggs were laid, you know, June, July last year, and then have been waiting until now to hatch. Um, So I do kind of wonder if that, will we'll still see an effect this summer from that. There are a lot of species that we know we will see that effect because there weren't wasn't enough water in the environment for them to even um, lay eggs last year, but you know, we'll we'll see. And so collecting larval mosquitoes is very high tech. We just have a cup on the end of a stick <laughs> and um, scoop them up and then bring them back. To collect adults, we use a, a few different traps. We use the CDC trap, baited with carbon dioxide. Um, and that's collecting adult mosquitoes that are looking for a blood meal. So they find us because of the CO2 that we're putting out. So we bait it with that CO2 and uh, let the mosquitoes fill up. We had a record number of mosquitoes in one CDC trap in one night in 2021 after flooding. It was um, all floodplain mosquito species. We had 23,000 individuals oh. in oh one trap God. in one night. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, they stuffed themselves in there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, pretty amazing. poor ladies, they're just hungry. (laughs) Yes, yes. And um, we also will use gravid traps. So that's looking for female mosquitoes that are ready to lay their eggs. We use those a lot to look for West Nile virus because they Mm -hmm. attract the primary vector of West Nile. And they also have been guaranteed for the most part, to have taken a blood meal. So the chances of finding the virus will be a little bit higher. We use resting boxes, which are looking for Culicida melanura, which is the primary vector of eastern equine encephalitis. Uh, we use ovitraps to try and track Aedes albopictus. Mm-hmm. We use, yeah, all different kinds of traps to collect adults. Do you use um, chickens at all? We don't do sentinel chickens, no. No, no. Can you what explain a, to the what is the sentinel? To Amanda, sure, yeah, sentinel I know it is kind of a cruel and funny uh, way of tracking. That sounds diseases. like it sounds like a robot chicken that you. Send yeah, out. it's used a lot more in the south. Um, like Louisiana still uses sentinel chickens. I think Florida does. So basically, they'll have chickens placed out in the environment in different areas, and they'll keep monitoring those chickens, the the blood of those chickens to see when West Nile virus becomes present. So it kind of gives you a clue as to um, (laughs) when West Nile will, is building in the bird population, and when it will be able to spill over into the human population. I wish the listeners could see Amanda's face during all this. (laughs) Shock, and I'm like, oh yeah, we just leave the chickens out there till they get yeah, a disease. Well, I get sick. Well, <laughs> great. Well, the, Thanks, well, chicken. <laughs> the worst part about being a sentinel chicken is really the best place for a mosquito to bite you is right around your eye. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so many feathers, so it's pretty rough life. Yeah, I'm glad. I don't. I don't think we use those in New Jersey. I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know think, a lot about I don't management. Think so. I don't think we do. I don't think so. Kinder to the chicken. yeah and they don't have hands to wipe the mosquitoes away from their eyes so they're just like just you know the tail that you see a cow (laughs) wicked that tail chickens are at the mercy oh poor little chicken (laughs) (laughs) are you um so you said you've noticed much uh fewer amount of larvae what kind of effect do you think that'll have on the aquatic ecosystems up there um yeah, they, they also are kind of starting to dry up because we've had a drier spring too. So I think that a lot of the pools are going to disappear early anyway. Um, mm. But I haven't noticed a difference in any of the other aquatic insects that are out there. Huh. And that's my favorite part of doing the larval surveillance in the spring is seeing all the different aquatic insects. I also love mayflies. I have a mayfly tattoo on my arm. Oh, that's um, awesome looking. 
That's yeah, cool. and then the caddisflies and the dytissid larva, and I've, I'm still seeing tons of those. And um, as long as their wetland environment stays wet enough for them to complete their life cycle, then they should all be fine. Um, and yeah, mosquitoes can provide food for some of those predatory insects, but I think that there's probably enough else out there. I'm seeing plenty of midge larvae. Okay, um, yeah. Lots yeah. of little copepods and yeah, I'm still seeing a lot of other things. Just oh, that's good. Not, um, and it could just be the wetlands that I've been assigned to this spring, but I'm not seeing those huge numbers that I'm used to seeing when, when dipping. And we've also had kind of a weird winter. We didn't really have any snow and it never really got that cold except for one weekend. So I think yeah, that here the wetlands, too. yeah, they're kind of just a little bit different than they normally would look. Can you uh, tell us a little bit? So when I when I met you at the conference, you were discussing this mosquito species that hangs out in the roots of cattails. Yeah. So what what is that little guy or the little ladies? <laughs> how, how do they work? Yeah, they are really cool. Um, they are commonly called the cattail mosquito. The scientific name is Cochlatidia perturbans, which I always love mosquito scientific names because it's always like nuisance, excrusions, tormentor, <laughs> yeah. you know, perturbans. It's oh, tormentor is always... a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My favorite doesn't have to do with how much they bother us. It's gross Becky, just because I think it's kind of funny. <laughs> was it named after That's... a lady named Becky? It was gross, sorry, Becky. Becky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like but, the secret scientist world is that they're yeah. hiding insults to each other in the names. Like they're like, oh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna Becky. get you, gross Becky. <laughs> Who do you think you are, gross Becky? Yeah. Some yeah, woman but, you were stuck working with in the lab who was horrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably stealing everybody's lunch. You know, you're like Becky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they are called the cattail mosquito because they're closely tied with cattail wetlands. They use other plants as well, but especially where I live, we have a ton of catland or cattail swamps. So they really are kind of tied to those habitats. And they, as larvae, have a modified siphon that will cut into the roots of these cattails and then breathe through the stem of the cattail rather than going to the surface to breathe like other mosquito larvae. They also look really different as larvae. They're really cool oh. to look at. They're like a whitish or greenish color. They move differently um, than the other mosquito larvae do. They have like a really big looking thorax area. Yeah, they're really, really cool looking. Oh, wow. I, I love that they make their own snorkel. Out of yes. the yeah. So and it makes it makes them hard to find and hard to control because if you want to control them in the larval stage, how are you going to get at them if they're attached to this to this plant um, and kind of protected in that way? And they're not really leaving it to feed that much. They're filter feeders. They can sit there and just filter feed while they're protected by this plant. So we actually use this modified dipper that's a sieve attached to a long pole and you scrape the underside of the roots to dislodge them. And then you're able to find them in the sieve there and, you know, let a little water through and you'll see them swimming. But they spend most of the year in the cattail swamp as larvae. So right now they're in about their third or fourth instar. They've been overwintering as larvae since the eggs were laid last you know, probably July or August. Right. Um, and then they'll emerge in June. The adults peak right around here. They peak right around the 4th of July and they're a huge human biter. They're, they're oh, a bridge no. vector species and they're also a nuisance species. They also are um, pretty, uh, pretty much tied to activity at dusk. They're truly a my favorite word, crepuscular yeah. um, <laughs> species. So if you're trying to sit after work on your porch while the sun is setting and enjoy your backyard, you're going to be swarmed by them if they're, if, if they're nearby. If you're sitting on a, on a lawn chair waiting for the fireworks to start, you're yeah. doomed. <laughs> they're coming for you. <laughs> it's crazy to me how long they last before they're adults again. Like that's... Yeah. Yeah. So there are species that will have really been affected by the drought last year. So, you know, it's likely we'll have a lot lower numbers this year, but we'll see. (laughs) But again, not like not totally wiped out. You just can't just can't do it. Yeah. 
Yeah. There'll always be a puddle somewhere. <laughs> They're oh. going to find it. Uh, I think Derek is asking if you can catch them as adults. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we catch them in really high numbers in our CDC traps. So oh, okay. I think our record for perturbans was 16,000 in a trap in one night. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. Yeah. That is. Uh, I, I used to do. Um, Mosquito control, kind of. Mostly I was just trapping 80s. Elopictus, I think, was what we mostly got. And I think we used those traps. Yeah. And they were pretty chock full of, yeah. uh, of Elopictus. Uh, yeah. You know, it's so amazing how So all three of you have were. done mosquito trapping? I'm the only one who hasn't ever trapped a mosquito. <laughs> You'll have to give it a try. Put a trap in your backyard. <laughs> all right. I'm ready. I, it's really that time of year where, like... Oh, I left my hat outside. Now it's full of mosquito larvae. Oh, no. <laughs> They're just in there doing their little wiggle dance. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you have children, mosquito- Amanda. If they yeah. leave buckets of water out. Then- oh, when they do. I believe, there's a, <laughs> I believe there's a deflated ball in my backyard right now that is just waiting for, <laughs> for a mosquito larva. And, like, looking at mosquito larvae is one of those things where, like, it both grosses me out and fascinates me. And so I, like, can't stop looking at them when they're, like, wee, 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 their way through <laughs> the water. And I'm, like, oh, that, that's nasty. I can't yeah. stop watching. <laughs> I, I love their little wiggle. I do, too. It's, it's kind of cute. They like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just and doesn't seem like a very wiggle differently. So yeah, they do. Clearly, it's true. It just doesn't seem like a very efficient way to get around. Yeah. It seems very inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they they live in standing water. They don't have to work too hard. They just um, kind of hang out. <laughs> it's a it's yeah. a casual wiggle. Yeah, a casual wiggle. But I I mean I'm like you. I love mosquitoes, even though they're you know, a threat to our livelihoods. They, <laughs> I still think that they're really cool and I love yeah. them and I'm not usually bothered by them unless we have virus in the, in the environment. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think we're like moving towards potential um, sort of CRISPR and genetic fixes Yeah, for this. So it's yeah. pretty interesting. If we just make them, their bodies inhospitable to the virus. Yeah. That research is really cool. It's very and it neat. is it is really exciting. I, I do feel like we will have a an effective way to prevent malaria in our lifetimes, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. Wow, that yeah. is incredible. We talked a little bit on the mosquito episode that punk se- seventh graders asked Kelly, like, how many people die of malaria? So you can theoretically lower that number. <laughs> Yeah, they always find a way. I'm still yeah. mad at that child. How many years later? <laughs> it's so rude. I, I hope he listens to it and recognizes himself. He's like, oh no, yeah, what a, what a punk seventh grader I was. Yeah. I've, trauma- I've traumatized that poor scientist. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's like the opposite of the doctor we talked about with you, Kelly, with your your premature birth mm-hmm. doctor when you were the baby and he kept a picture of you, you're going to keep a picture of that kid but with the opposite energy of like this kid. Ah, ah. The anger. Yeah. Anger. I think, I think again, yeah, I'm sure you did cut that part Derek, but yeah. <laughs> we don't need to tell yeah. Kelly's whole life story. on the podcast. Yeah. No, no, we just, we're just here to hear about your, your dad. That's... Uh, dad cast is always good content. <laughs> My dad's a lunatic, but we love him. Yeah, if you, uh, Caitlin, if you listen to other episodes, you'll learn a whole lot about Amanda and Derek's father. And okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I plan to. I've been enjoying them work. so far. Eventually, you'll find one that just infuriates you. So no, <laughs> impossible. We appreciate that you listen. Um, oh, uh, speaking of uh, control, you guys. Use a helicopter? Is that right? There's like a helicopter involved. Yeah, yeah, we do. For, yeah, for our larvicides, we apply with a helicopter. So we'll be doing that for our spring wetlands coming up. And in the spring, we use BTI. I don't know if you've talked about BTI before, mm-hmm. no. um, but it's a bacterial insecticide that kills. Um, it's very specific. It only kills mosquito and black fly larvae. 
And there it's Bacillus thuringiensis as the bacteria name. And then there are all these subspecies that are specific to different types of insects. So there's a BT that you can use that's only for beetles, a BT that you can use that's only for lepidopteran. We used a BTI oh. or BTK actually to control winter moth um, in some experiments in blueberry fields when I was in grad school. Um, but it's a bacteria that the insect has to consume and it has it's like very spiky. So it kind of cuts their stomach lining and makes them very sick and they die before they can pupate and become an adult. So we're trying to That's control rough. them in the That's larval a really stage. Rough, a rough way yeah, to do things. It is. <laughs> we I'm, control them in the larval stage before they come out. We call it control, but like the reality is it's like kind of a brutal business. <laughs> yes. Yes. It is. I'm, I'm controlling the population. <laughs> I'm, torturing them until they die. <laughs> and I love the phrase applied with a helicopter. That just is yes. like, wow, I applied it with a <laughs> helicopter. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of issues actually with people understanding what we're doing because everyone just says the word spray. And hmm. to me, that kind of signifies a liquid product. And we're using a granule Mm -hmm. that enters the water and it's activated by becoming wet. So if you drop it just in the woods on the forest floor, it will be inert. Nothing will happen. Um, so we kind of try and get people to use different language, but it's hard because you think of mosquito control and you think of spraying and then you think of the trucks and DDT and all that, you know, all that history there. So it's, it is kind of hard to get people to yeah, understand what we're dropping from the helicopters and they have to fly low to accurately apply it to the wetland and not outside of the wetland. And we have a pretty populated area where we work. Um, so people are, you know, out in their backyards, like, what are you doing? And yeah, it can be kind of scary, <laughs> oh, no. but not minding their own business. <laughs> yeah. <Right>. yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen it from biplane before where it's like, meow, yep. and the biplane goes by and it's like this pinky purpley dust that they just yep. put on everything. Yeah. They'll use planes too. Um, we just use helicopters cause that's what's been available to us. We contract it out, but. Yeah. Have you been on the helicopter? At one time, I got to ride oh. in the helicopter. It was awesome. It sounds, it sounds terrifying to me. I don't know why a helicopter was like, it sounds really cool, but like the worm larva, I kind of both hate it and want to continue to see it. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's how I'd feel on the helicopter too. I'd be like, this is scary, but also fun, but mostly yeah. scary, but also fun. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I think if you're afraid of heights at all, it wouldn't be for you because it's yeah. like a very wide glass front. So you feel, and if they're like, the, I think he, the guy flying was trying to scare me a little. He was like diving and I was like, <laughs> <But>. <laughs> I, my foot too. I'm never above like six foot ever. I, <laughs> I have to use a kitchen stool to reach the regular cupboards in my kitchen. So. Yeah. We, we keep a mat a low to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> where you're comfortable. I I live in the cellar. I'm low to the ground. I'm basically just an earwig now. That's just how it is. Are there any other um, like interesting myths you'd like to address? Like, um, I, especially this time of year, we get a lot of people calling, complaining about mosquitoes before they've really emerged. So there are a lot of flying flies that people will confuse for mosquitoes. A lot of them don't bite. Some of them do, but they don't live very long. So we're not really, and don't carry diseases. So we're not too worried about them. But the biggest one is um, people, I don't know where this came from, but people think that crane flies are either a mosquito eater or the daddy mosquito, the, the male mosquito. And I don't know where that myth came from, but I get that all the time. It is our intention nuts. to do a, a daddy long legs episode and we'll cover some of the crane fly stuff where it's like, <laughs> it, it just is roughly shaped like a mosquito. It's, it's not yeah. related to them in yeah. any significant they're, way. They're, um, they're related, but they're not, yeah. they're not. Well, mosquitoes. okay. Their behavior yeah, is not, different. not coming for you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> He's not coming yeah. through the suede top of the convertible trying to get you with this, with his multi-pronged <laughs> little mouth parts there. Yeah. We we just uh, we recorded like a, a bug basics taxonomy episode which hasn't come out yet. But Amanda, if mosquitoes are culicidae, 
then our buddies, the crane flies, are tulipidae. So different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm imagining I'm imagining the step ladder of specificness. I'm like, Imagine where tree. it diverges. <laughs> yeah, and their flies are divided into two like bigger categories: nematocera mm-hmm. and brachycera. And then nematocera, I think of as like very dainty, and those mm-hmm. are mosquitoes, crane flies. And then the brachycera are like more robust, like the house flies, chunks. Um, the tachinid that parasitizes winter moth. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, you got uh, it, Amanda. It's in, it's in there. It's in there. I just, again, I know I said this, which I don't know in what order these episodes were released. So it could be I'm talking about next week's episode for all I know. But it just feels like even in the scientific community, there's like disagreements about where the split should happen. Oh, yeah. So like, so like I, as a lay person, I'm like, but, but what about... How is the elephant related to the walrus? I don't know. <laughs> you know they're like, it's, it's yeah. fine. Don't worry about it. There's <laughs> a good one for mosquitoes, 80s versus Ocleratatus. Some people yeah. split them. Some people don't. It's a whole yeah. thing. Depending, <laughs> depending on what paper I'm reading, it's either Ocleratatus, Triceriatus, or it's 80s. Yep. Uh, you know, <laughs> you had know, some good jargon people. this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> coming in with coming in hot with all this latin and i'm like okay sure <laughs> um all right how many all right so we'll, i guess we'll do the legs portion yeah how many we'll do it for both how many legs would you give the winter moth out of six and how many legs would you give that sweet sweet uh cattail mosquito <laughs> i i think this is hard because i love all insects so i want to give them all six legs <laughs> it's a bug queen um, doesn't want to rake them <laughs> the winter moth as a caterpillar has zero well it, ha- it still has six legs pro legs right but um yeah since it is was such a huge problem but is now somewhat mitigated i will give it a three. Oh, fair yeah that's a very fair number yeah and then the cattail mosquito um I think just because I love them, but I think because they are implicated in disease in my area, they I will probably soon be counting thousands and thousands of them. Um, and we'll see them when I close my eyes at night. I'll give them <laughs> a one. <laughs> oh, yeah, no I think a one is the harshest we've had. So- I think oh. it is the harshest we've had. <laughs> one little leg. I mean, I'm fair, very though. lenient. With yeah. my with the legs because I like you I love everything yeah so I can be a little although Amanda's been pretty I am I've been generous. so generous lately it's just <laughs> I'm just like the world is beautiful and we need all creatures to live yeah because <laughs> beautiful <do>. world <laughs> but it, no so I've been like six five four legs <laughs> eight Amanda goes above sometimes eight legs it's a spider now now oh. they're erectants yeah. yeah. I, I think I would give the, let's see, the winter moth, I'm going to go with a three. I agree on your three. And then the mosquito, I don't know. It's, it's won me over with that cattail straw. I'm giving it's them a four. Cool. Yeah. Them a, they're very cool. And you said they're like greenish and wiggle different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Points. It gets points. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda? Yeah. Uh, mm, mm. I, I okay. A gift points for multicolored egg. Cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Colors. I'm always into color shifting. A, a mood ring egg sounds awesome to me. Um. So that's his points, and I feel like I got to award points for it gets eaten from the inside. You know, I just have mm. empathy for that. Maybe not empathy. Maybe just sympathy. <laughs> yeah, that been been I've I've been pregnant twice, so maybe empathy. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> But at the same time, horribly invasive, eating all my stuff. Mm. I think I'm going to give them winter moth, but stays alive when no one else is there. That's pretty. Yeah, I got to go three. I got to agree with you guys because I think it's cool that it's like no one's out there. Now's my time to shine. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty. Yeah, I'll go three. With the mosquito, mm, disease does fall under my rubric of how does it affect me, which is. Which is what I often, the, the biggest thing is like, <laughs> does it benefit me? Does it not benefit me? It's very Amanda-centric. Uh, yes. I got to keep it. I got to keep the humans represented on this podcast. Otherwise, we're going to be too sympathetic to the bug. 
Um, I'll give them three. It's not their fault that they're a, G- uh, a vector of disease. <laughs> it's, not like, it's, not like, it's not like we went out there and we're like, now's my time to really stick it to the man. <laughs> That's very kind of three. you, Amanda, recognizing that they don't, they're not like choosing to be vectors. No, <laughs> they're not. They're not bad guys. They're they're just mosquitoes. They're just yeah, they're not. They're not the panda out there just straight up switching. It's <laughs> it's like meal plan because they're cranky. <laughs> that was part not of the. Anything I think can be mad at the diseases, not at the organisms yeah. that carry them. <laughs> Uh, uh, I assure you I can be mad at organisms that carry diseases. <laughs> After the last couple of years I've had, I promise you I will be mad at <laughs> Probably too political for the cast, so. <laughs> <laughs> Very like, Amanda. <laughs> I can't, I can't go to the edge over here. <laughs> oh yeah, BT is BT the one that makes like the eagle sick, or is that something else? No, that's DDT. 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 Which we don't okay. use that anymore. We haven't right. for a oh. long time. Yeah, because it like was making their eggshells soft, and yes. you couldn't yeah. get any little baby birds. Yep. Yep. BT is the bacteria. Okay. Yeah. And for mosquitoes, it's BTI, and then. For other organisms, there's another letter that goes at the end for the the um, subspecies. It sounds like we have very similar uh, environments, like climate-wise, because we have bald eagles and <laughs> cattails, and you have bald eagles and cattails. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, how That's what I think we are pretty similar. We, I think, we have colder winters, maybe more snow than Portland, but oh yeah, that's we true. are pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. The the true indicator is bald eagles yes. and cats. Yes. 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 You look up the Wikipedia article and you'll find me cited at how to tell what a climate yeah. is. Yeah. If places are the same. <laughs> yeah, are the same. Yeah. 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 Correct. That's how you Amanda's tell. My, Amanda's my favorite kind of expert. Which is <laughs> <laughs> not an expert at all. No. I just think it's interesting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, we do don't you guys wanna... have salmon? We have a lot of salmon. Do you guys have salmon? We do have salmon. but There you go. Basically the same place. <laughs> I don't know how much. Basically the same place. We don't have lobsters, though. Oh, wait. Um... No, we do have lobsters. Because there's that 20-pound lobster on the coast. Derek oh. knows what I'm talking about. No. no yeah. Uh, Derek's shaking no? his head. Oh. Well. Crabs. There is a, there is a tiny Crabs are little... not lobsters. No. No. There's a lobster <laughs> at that zoo you won't go to. Oh, it's it, in captivity. Yes, <laughs> that that doesn't yeah, count. <laughs> I'm sure that it doesn't, but <laughs> like, there's this tiny little aquarium that Derek won't go to because he doesn't support like non A plus rated creature holders. Mm. Basically, mm-hmm. all it is is just like this little pool with seals in it that you can throw squid at. Oh, <laughs> you, know, you know the kind of place. Oh boy. I mean, yeah, it's. It's probably not great, but <laughs> the seals seem pretty fat and happy about it. So I'm, <laughs> but they have like on display the the former body of a lobster that weighed like I think it was like twenty one pounds. Wow! And someone stole it to try and set it back free into the ocean and killed it in like its rescue oh attempt. God. And it was like you've done nothing but cause chaos here. Yeah. <laughs> so they just they just keep his shell on display now. Oh, wow. That's kind yeah. of sad as a warning to all uh, <laughs> potential. Well, is it is it lobsters? Lobster freedom fighters. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's lobsters that like don't die. They only ever get big too big for their shell if they're left on their own devices. I don't, I don't know about that. I think that. they eventually die, but they do, they can get really old. Yeah. I feel like they get so old that the molting process like becomes inefficient and they end up dying. Because they can't molt properly, but maybe I'm just crazy and I. I'm that makes sense. I feel like I've seen a lobster at an aquarium that was like in its 30s. They get, yeah, they wow. crazy. <laughs> I'm gonna look this up later. I'll, I'll text you, Kelly, if it's yeah. true. Or if I'm a, <laughs> Let me. I'm a loon. Amanda does I, uh, authoritatively say lots of things, and we're not sure. <laughs> if you say it with confidence, everyone will believe you. It's true. true. <laughs> That's how I get through my imposter syndrome. <laughs> Confident speaking. This is and if you A+. say it on a podcast, it is true. That's, that's, true. that's yeah. I don't make the rules. <laughs> if it's on a pod, I heard it on a podcast. How many how many pieces of news do you hear 
my dad specifically say, I heard this on the other day. My dad <laughs> is so susceptible to those things. Oh, if I heard it in a video, it must be true. It must be true. <laughs> the other day, well, I heard this. You don't, source. We don't want to hold you too long, Caitlin. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for being an awesome guest. We hope you Thanks for having time. me. Where where can folks find you? Do you have social media or anything? Yeah, I actually have um, a a an insect Instagram that I sporadically Ooh. use, but you know, in the summer usually I post a little more. It is entomology. I can um, type it out for you so yeah. you know how to spell it. <laughs> yeah, send it to us. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll put um I'll put the podcast on too when it comes out on my. That'd be um, great. Instagram too. Yeah. Yeah. We'd appreciate that. Yeah. It was so nice meeting you at the conference. Yeah. It was yeah. nice to meet you too. Thanks for reading my poster. And <laughs> I thought it was questions. very cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming to my talk. I appreciate yeah. that. It was also very cool. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Just women supporting women out here. In the yeah. <laughs> in a Including, very male dominated field. So yeah, that yeah. is true. Ironic then that mosquito is, I guess, I guess the mosquitoes are the lady biter, the bitey ones are the ladies. So you got yeah. mosquito. I guess that makes sense. Not a lot of, <laughs> not a lot of dudes out here representing in the bug world we've found so far that it seems to be, be the interesting behaviors seem to be in the females of the species. That's why I love entomology so much, to be honest. The males don't really matter that much. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, you only, you only need a couple males. They're not that important. It's yep. ladies who are doing all the work. Mm-hmm. So... We are a pollinator positive podcast, and we're also a ladybug. <laughs> ladybug positive yeah. podcast. We need another uh, yeah, alliteration to make that more snappy. Yeah. <laughs> we're ladybug lovers. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> you don't love the bug. You don't love the bug. I do love all. I love all the bugs, and that's my problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel like there was one you gave a low rank. Maybe it was Emerald Ashbore that you gave a low rank to. I think that I was the two legs. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Real villain energy on that Emerald Ashbore. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to um, outro us, Amanda? Uh, yeah. I if guess. you want to cut. Let me hold on. I got to think of some way to tie it in. I mean, all of the stuff is also said in the credits music. So I know. Yeah. But. Still, you gotta do the like and subscribe energy that the YouTubers <laughs> gotta smash that like button, smash, ring that bell. That's what they all say. My son what is watching a lot of Minecraft YouTube right now, and they they oh. all say that they're always like mm-hmm. ring that bell, and like always halfway through the video they're like, "What's this? I found inside this chest a subscribe button." Whoa! And I'm like, stop, <laughs> stop, stop doing this. <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining us so much, and. We love you. Bye. (laughs) Bugs Need Heroes is created by Derek Conrad and Kelly Zimmerman. Hosted by Amanda Allen Nide and Kelly Zimmerman. Bugs Need Heroes is produced and edited by Derek Conrad. Our music is Ladybug Castle by Roll Music. All character art by Amanda Allen Nide. Got a bug question? Email us at bugsneedheroes at gmail.com. Check us out on BugsNeedHeroes.com for the visual companion to our episodes with the artwork of the bug-related heroes. We also have an Instagram, Twitter, and subreddit under the Bugs Need Heroes name. Thanks for coming by. Hmm, I'm trying to think of someone to like get a crop dust in there. <laughs>